from New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Fomai Sirdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Through Populax, I hope to bring to you all the fun and profound ways my guests, accomplished creatives from across ages, cultures, and professions, relate to one object of desire at a time. Daphne Howland is not a celebrity. Unless you have an interest in retail, you may have never seen her byline. One thing is certain, though. If you read any of her articles, you will seek her out. It is Daphne's extraordinary depth of expression and the precision with which she elaborates on facts, big and small, contemporary and historical, for each one of her news reports and definitely her longer pieces on Retail Dive, where she's a senior reporter. If not anything else, you must read her essay on the American department store, and I will make sure to include the link in the episode's description. We have we have worked together on questions of luxury and fashion and very glamorous industries where you have been a prolific writer, while at the same time you have this other aspect of your life, which is much more creative writing and um, photography and film and theater. Uh, well, thank you, Thamai. This is a really fun exercise to do with you. Um, you have been a really important source for me on so many of my stories. And this is not the kind of question that in my reporting at Retail Dive tends to come up very much. It's almost an existential question. And I struggled with it because I'm not your typical luxury customer in the sense that we often talk about. And you're right that part of my life, the photography and the, my interest in film is sort of transporting kind of activities in my life. And I don't often think of it as luxury when it comes to my acquisition in those worlds. Photography, if, if we're talking about indulgence, uh, there's definitely, when it comes to my photography, although I'm not someone who owns the most expensive camera equipment, I do, I have allowed myself to search out very odd lenses and things that work with my cameras. And it's the kind of activity or pursuit that finally led me to the choice that I ultimately made, which is the phonograph that I bought last year. Was it last year? I think it was, it must have been very early 2021 when the sort of full effect of the pandemic and really being stuck at home 
was being felt by everyone, not just me. And this was an object that I absolutely did not need, especially after giving away all my vinyl record albums many, (laughs) many years before. And so that's where I landed. Um, Even though I'm not a musician, as someone once said, I I don't play an instrument. I I play records. (laughs) I'm assuming that you are subscribing to one or maybe two streaming services where you could access music. Absolutely. The whole family is on one plan through Spotify. So there's this sharing element that's very enjoyable. We have practically the entire music catalog. We're constantly discovering things because as a family unit, we, you know, we've got kids who know stuff about music. We know stuff about music that they don't. So it's, you can listen to the classics. You can listen to your new discoveries. Listening to records is a completely different process. And that is also a little bit where luxury comes in. It's a little bit like photography in the sense that for me, when I'm really out with my camera, I I need time and I need to stop and slow down to really see properly to take a photograph and while listening to music is a passive process the superiority of the sound that the phonograph and the vinyl records connected with our speakers produce compared to the streaming service means that I'm hearing things I'm hearing more distinctly the instruments that are being played there's a little bit of warmth not with all records, but some of the records, there's a lot of warmth to the sound. And so it evokes almost a physical feeling. But part of it is just taking, choosing the record, taking it out of the sleeve. You have to handle it a certain way. And then you have to flip it. You, You can't listen to it all the way through. You have to stop and turn it over Sometimes that means you have to stop yourself in mid-sentence because the record has stopped. You have to be careful about dust and static. It really slows you down and forces you to pay attention in a way that adds to the experience. It's You're really listening to the music as opposed to having it in the background. Well, you described this really well in terms of the tactility of the sound that becomes something very tangible in a way. It's it's the sensation of the sound on our body. But in addition to that, the way I was listening to you describing the whole process, it sounded to me as a very theatrical experience as well. And so in a way, not that you do it on purpose, but you put on a performance that is uh, ritualistic and has certain components that are repeatable, but they're equally enjoyable every time that you choose to put this vinyl record on the phonograph. And depending on who is with you, 
you actually create a little bit of a interaction that is outside the music, but adjacent to the music, because everyone perhaps is looking at you, placing the record on the phonograph, or you are introducing the piece of music that you're about to listen to with with these bits of knowledge that you have acquired about it. And I think that that is what enriches the experience as opposed to the streaming device where you have something and it goes in loops or it suggests different music. One is a little bit of a more passive medium of listening to music and your choice is to actually be involved hands-on, but also allow yourself to become part of a conversation that I'm assuming happens in the room concurrently. Well, in fact, it's it definitely happens in the room. And you're right. It's a, it's a series of choices, which includes which works are worth searching out and paying for on vinyl. Most, if not all, of the records that I have now um, are available on my Spotify account. So which which are the ones that I want to hear that way as well um, or instead? But the other conversations that I've been having are out in the world because now I'm in search of vinyl records. And so the discovery process is no longer driven by the algorithm or by the choices that my children make that happen to show up on our family plan. It means going to record stores in town, talking to the people in the stores, looking at the walls where they've said, these are the ones that we think you should pay attention to, seeing what they have, finding out if they can obtain something for me. A couple of the places where they sell secondhand records get into some really interesting conversations because to run a record store of secondhand records means you are a particular type of retailer. I walked out of one of those shops the other night and I um, just turning the corner from the record store and this man said to me, oh, you got new records. <laughs> happy New Year. He was so happy for me. Complete stranger on the street. This is fantastic. Actually, it reminded me other conversations that we've had in the past through our professional relationship and talking about retail and uh, the utility of algorithms and uh, this false perception that an algorithm can actually read all of us consumers and, and churn out some sort of recipe for whatever it is that we want, which may be okay, but in the end, all these nuances of the cultural context, going to your local vinyl record store, talking to these people, inadvertently listening to a piece of music that is playing right there and then, and you hadn't even imagined that you would like it. And, and that type of thing that you cannot feed it into an algorithm, right? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, Spotify doesn't even concern itself with whether the 2014 mono remix of a Beatles album is better or not as good as the 2009 stereo remix or the original 1965. These are the conversations you have that are valuable whether or not you walk out 
with a record that you've purchased. I mean, that experience of popping downtown to hit a couple of record stores on a Sunday afternoon is just one of those sort of like church. It's something to do once a week. It's something a little bit sacred. It's, it's, there's something ineffable. It doesn't really matter if I come home with something or not. Chances are I've contemplated it many, that whole process. And, and it's another, again, it's slowing down. It's, it's deciding $30 too much for this, but is $90 inexpensive for that? Does anything other than the information about the music play a role in your choice? For example, I would be very much attracted to the cover of the record, even if I don't necessarily like the music. But for someone like you who knows music really well, perhaps this is a very superficial way to approach record collecting. But how do you relate to the physical object that is about to become yours? The record covers don't influence me as much when it comes to, so I, I have, I have a pretty eclectic taste in music, but one of my great loves is jazz and probably half the records that I buy and, and that I own are jazz records. Luckily for me, that means that the, all the things that I appreciate about listening to vinyl records are especially valuable when listening to jazz because it's such a, I'm talking about things like trios and quartets and, and maybe quintets. So it's not a big band or a loud kind of rock and roll scene. They were really good at the audio file, the, the recordings, even in the fifties were very sophisticated and clean and good. So chances are, if you find a record in good shape, whether it's a reissue or something that literally was, was recorded in the sixties or the late fifties, it, it might be just fine as far as how, what kind of condition that it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the demand for vinyl records up so much, there are a lot of reissues of jazz and and the Beatles reissues have been in the news lately with some of the 50th anniversaries coming up of some of their records. And those albums are often really nice, heavy, luxurious pieces of vinyl. I mean, the... It, there might be a record that was issued in the 60s that sonically is very good, but doesn't have the kind of heft that the reissue has. As far as the physicality, I really appreciate the different textures mm-hmm. that there are out there, but I really especially like some of these heavier and you find them in older records too sometimes that just it, the the care that is going into remaking some of these records these are my memories from my parents' vinyl record collection. Actually, I brought some of this with me here because I too have a record player. But when it came to classical music, German records are the heavy records and really something that you unwrap and you hold in your hands and you can you can almost 
it makes you feel that it something special, something magic is about to happen. Uh, I remember to, you know, when I was in high school and we were still buying vinyl records for all the pop music that were imported from the US uh, or the UK very flimsy, very breakable also vinyl records that in the end did not survive. But this Deutsche Grammophone um, brand of, of vinyl record is, is something that has stayed with me uh, as indeed a very, almost a velvety kind of texture on, on the surface where then you're allowed to be wrapped in, in, in a magical kind of sound. The the German, if you say made in, if you see made in Germany on a vinyl record, chances are it is pretty much the top notch quality that you can get still. So. Yes. So so this space that you're carving out for yourself every Sunday afternoon, which is personal, right? Does your husband participate in, in that ritual of choosing as you're buying or is it more at home? Definitely not buying. He's happy to listen and he loves a lot of what I buy. And, and a couple of the albums that I've gotten are actually his favorite things. It's really my pursuit, I would say. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, the rest of the family is getting a good training on how music can be enjoyed as a more holistic uh, experience, because in the end, you're introducing, again, I will go back to the idea of performance, not, not, not that you're giving a performance, but, but you're introducing this sort of pace that is very regimented. There are certain steps that you take, where you acquire the, the records, and then what happens when you want to listen to music. But I'm assuming you're completely changing the way your children are thinking about music, even though I'm sure that they continue you to stream uh, Spotify or to listen and discover new songs on there? My children, I think maybe if they were younger, uh, they would might be in a more impressionable place, mm. but I'm not sure they really appreciate the, the cumbersome process of dealing with records one thing is you can't you can't forget just forget about a record once the side ends you know the right. my my player doesn't automatically lift up so i have to make sure that i get it mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world if it takes me a few minutes to to deal with it but so they don't understand <laughs> why it would be worth having to go especially because we have a set of speakers in one room. Sometimes I'm walking through another room to mm. record. They don't want to deal with it. They feel like it's too precious because the arm, by the way, this phonograph, as you said, it's very minimalist. It's a beautiful piece of machinery and the arm is extremely lightweight. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the old days where you could kind of just grab it and have a whole little lever of its own to move it over. I don't think they think it's worth it. Hmm. But you use the word precious, which is interesting because this is the whole idea that uh, taking the time and slowing down and actually dissecting what are the steps that are involved in any process that we like to be involved in create that preciousness. 
and create the idea of luxury and that idea of of creation itself because you are the creator of a, of a certain mood and and you're totally responsible for it and um, the atmosphere that you create. But uh, uh, I was thinking that it's interesting, especially for you, because you are a very creative person and your creativity comes out both in your writing and, and with your photography. But both of these media are in the public domain. In other words, you write because that's your job and your beautiful words hit the page or the computer every single day and, and your photography understand the same. Whereas that sort of creative act of, of finding the music, reflecting on the music, reliving the music, because reliving it is a very important part of it for you. It's a very private type of creativity. And I wonder if you have ever reflected on the relationship of the concept of luxury and how much more legitimate it is when it is completely private, as opposed to the sort of luxury that people buy or showcase just for for the social capital that is exchanged, for whatever people are thinking about us. It doesn't feel private, certainly in my living room, especially if my husband's fixed me one of a drink <laughs> on a Friday night with one of the jazz albums. There's sort of no more perfect moment than that. The thing is, it's not private for the musicians i mean they were they it was their work of art i mean they you can and you they are active you know you can hear the drums it's you can picture them playing and it and it feels intimate because it like i said it's often a trio sometimes you can hear their breath mm. or their kind of you know maybe little sounds that they make because it's it might be a studio recording but it's it's vibrant and you know sometimes it's improvisational sometimes it's less so i'm really an audience it's it doesn't feel like i'm thinking it doesn't feel any more private of an experience for me than taking a photograph because Taking a photograph, by the way, is also a very solitary endeavor to the point where I've really I I had to realize as a young mother that if I was going to be focusing on taking pictures, that I was going to be missing out on whatever was happening. I'd have to choose. Are you going to be present or are you going to take pictures? It's it, it feels similar in that me and my camera almost maybe feels more private than me and my vinyl record. Mm. In the end, the photograph with any luck will be seen by others. And I meant creativity in terms of you, because I, of course, totally get it that for the trio, this is a public work of art, obviously for us to enjoy Yeah, it does make sense. But I think you know from the beginning that your photography is going to be seen by others, whereas that 
private moment you're creating is truly for you or perhaps for you and your your husband or your family. And, and I think that changes a little bit the type of care that one invests in creating that moment. It's interesting as you talk about it as a luxury, maybe performative, because that is partly where social media comes in. I don't, I for one don't share, for example, if I'm putting on a record, but many people do, or I can picture many people sharing something like that. So then does that change the equation? Is this activity that is private or personal at least now have an extra layer of value because it is it's shareable and maybe has status potentially depending on what who your audience is i don't know you're not present any longer if if it takes you even 30 seconds to post the image of the cover or or your phonograph, you've already taken your attention away from that one object. And that has not destroyed, but it has changed the relationship with what you were doing before. So I'm, I'm with you on that because I think social media is just diverting our attention to something else when that is even more abstract. Who who is out there looking at your social media account and needs to know what records you're playing at home? Uh, who knows? But I really only have one last question for you, Daphne. What is your favorite cocktail? Oh, my favorite cocktail <laughs> is called a scofflaw. Oh, I've never heard of that. It's a prohibition era drink that involves rye. The reason I'm hesitating is because I I found the recipe and gave it to my husband because I had it at a bar once. Not once. We have a local place. They were serving it. And and that's what I tend to, to get when we're there. But I wanted to have it at home. So I found the recipe and he makes it. So he knows all. But it's rye. I want to say lemon. Bitters. It's delicious. It's it's it goes down very easily. There's something about the lemon um, and the orange bitters that really smooths out the rye, and it actually sounds delicious. Pomegranate. Ah, I would love that. Pomegranate. Yes, the key was to spring back to your questions about luxury. The key mm-hmm. was to spring or the real pomegranate mixer and not the the fake one. Right. This sounds delicious. Thank you, Daphne. This has been a very musical, <laughs> musical uh, uh, part of Populux. And I thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for all the help you've given me over the years. And um, it's just been very fun to participate in this. From New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Fomai Serdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. 
Populux is a series of stories of desire recounted around one object at a time.